0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: good afternoon cherries fans and welcome to this latest show here on up the cherries in all departments now we do wish it was in better circumstances but of course yesterday we was beaten three nil up at goodison park with mistakes at the back no impetus in attack what's going to happen to Iriola? do we want gary back that is the question see what i did there We do want to discuss, though, Everton and Sean Dyche. You know, what sort of team are they? Why, you know, and how did they get the better on Iriola? You know, what do Everton fans think of the style last season compared to what they saw yesterday? And what happens to Iriola now? We do have a very, very special guest to discuss all of these points. And it is a pleasure to welcome on from BBC Radio Merseyside, Julia Bold. Good afternoon, Julia. How are you doing?
2: I'm very well. Probably a little bit better than you are after that result from Goodison. But yeah, all good. Nice to talk to you.
1: Yeah, and to you as well. And of course, you are one of the leading presenters from BBC Radio Merseyside, aren't you? Um, Do tell us a little bit about your role.
2: Uh, yeah, so I present the Total Sport Merseyside show on a Wednesday, and yeah, I'm one of the, the sport reporters, so anyone in these parts that listens will hear me at the press conferences, so we cover Liverpool, Everton and Tranmere uh, quite largely, really, and uh, yeah, we've got the rugby here, big rugby area around Merseyside, cause St Helens and Warrington and Woodness, and yeah, sort of any bits of sport, really, that I can get to do. Um, it is largely football, but that's great, That that suits me as well.
1: Excellent stuff. Well, you was there yesterday and you was there last game of the season when Mm -hmm. Everton secured safety. Let's go back a little bit further, though, because Everton are a club that, you know, back in the late 90s was struggling, had that resurgence under David Moyes, got into the Champions League, kind of dipped off again, then picked up under Ancelotti. And since then, while had Machiri come in, And spent all this money promising the world to Everton fans. Um, And let's be honest, the sort of money that Everton was spending, if it was spent wisely, you could say that it was comparable to Manchester City. But it's all fallen apart. What is your view of what's happened
2: Yeah. How long have you got, really? Because this is yeah such an in-depth thing, (laughs) which we've covered quite a lot. And and there's now a process of a takeover underway at Everton as well. So, yeah, just just rewinding back then. Yeah, I think David Moyes built a side that was known for being really tough qualified for Champions League football and there was the infamous Merseyside row as well because Liverpool had won the Champions League and didn't finish in the top four and I think the rule book had to get be brought out and I think rules were changed after that it it felt like Everton were going in the right direction but I do think they sort of came stuck Moyes always had he said there was a a bit of a glass ceiling that they could never ever go through yeah Um, Roberto Martinez came in and got the record. Premier League points tally on his first yeah. season so it looked like he'd kind of dispelled that myth that you know nothing could be done to, to break into it um unfortunately I think and if any Everton fan was sat here talking to you now they'd say it's been the running of the club that has been the issue yes Fahad Mashiri came in uh as a majority shareholder and has slowly built it up um he has spent money, you are quite rightly say. You know, there's a beautiful yeah. looking brand new stadium. Uh, it looks like a stadium now for quite a while, it just looked like a, a great big hole and nothing, but now it looks yeah. like a stadium on the waterfront. If anyone comes to Liverpool, it's yeah, a bit further down from the Albert Dock, but you know, it looks absolutely incredible. Money's been spent, yeah, around mm-hmm. about 500 million pounds has been spent during his tenure, so that can't be leveled at him. But unfortunately, it, it's always been square pegs and round holes, it hasn't ever been spent in the correct way and now there is you know a situation where the money has stopped
0: mm-hmm.
2: and players are being sold off Richarlison was sold off and it, it was fairly open so that FFP wasn't breached it was on the final day of June in order to ensure that there was no FFP issues uh, Anthony Gordon was sold for big money uh, nobody came in in that January either um, you know and if you look back to that situation in January there were several teams as you well know fighting it out in a relegation battle and everton were the only ones who didn't sign a single player in january to bolster the squad so sean dyche came in frank lampard was sacked and has really had a very tiny squad to work with and i think it was more miraculous what he did to keep everton up last season than what lampard did the season before um because he had a much bigger and better squad it still wasn't big enough but he definitely had players at his disposal to turn it around. Yeah, so as it stands at the moment, Everton the fan base has been desperately unhappy. There were protests from February onwards last season. In fact, Sean Dyche has never known, never knew last season a game without a protest before against the running of the club because they started on his first game, which was against Arsenal. And then ironically, Everton beat Arsenal, who were top of the table at the time. So that's just typical football. Um, Yeah, you know, many of the board, three members of the board left in the summer. There is an interim board in place right now. Seven 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 have come in. They were at the game yesterday. They were at the yep. game against Luton, so they're showing their faces. But as you know, a takeover can't just happen overnight. It's got to go to the Financial Conduct Authority. The Premier League has to ratify it. The Fit and Proper Persons Test, all that kind of stuff's going on. So they reckon about eight to twelve weeks. So it could take us up to Christmas. That Seven Seven Seven. If people don't know, they uh, sort of they own lots of different clubs: uh, Genoa is one red star belgrade is another they have shares in Hertha berlin as well there's all kinds of stories as the internet you can google whatever you want you can find positives and negatives so it'd be interesting they did do a really long piece in the program yesterday and it went out as an email to all fans as well from 777 about what they want to do why they want to be involved yeah. in everton and it reads really really well i just think everyone was so excited when mashiri came on board it was finally you know yeah. a wealthy person to own Everton and restore it to where it rightfully should be you know it's an icon of English football isn't it Everton Goodison Park
1: oh yeah
2: definitely you know it's a beautiful stadium and it'd be a really sad day when all the doors shut on that and you know tears will be shed without a shadow of a doubt um unfortunately the money was never spent right I mean managers have it's been a revolving door of managers and no one's really known the plan I think I mean Marco Silva yeah. Young up-and-coming manager who who's done really well since he's come to Fulham Uh, didn't work for him. Ronald Koeman, you know, mm-hmm. a legend when he was playing, came in, didn't work with him. Even towards the end of Carlo Ancelotti's tenure, the results had kind of begun to dip pretty quickly. Rafa Benitez yeah. crossed the park. That was never going to work ever. <laughs> no. It's never ever, you know, going to be accepted, and it didn't last very long. Sam Allardyce has been in, Roberto Martinez has been in, Big Dunks had a couple of spells, Frank Lampard came in. I mean, you name it, Everton have tried yeah. it, but I think sometimes you have to make a plan and stick with it, don't you? But yeah, that hasn't been the case. Dice is in. I'll, I'll tell you now, I'm a big fan of Dyche. I think he's yeah. great. Um, but it, it's a very precarious situation at Everton still.
1: I think one of the things that I've always thought, and I've heard murmurings, from the Everton faithful, that Everton fans are not happy with Bill Kenwright. Now, Bill Kenwright, of course, saved the club all those years ago. Was it about 2004, if I'm right in thinking?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to wind that back. I think no, I think it was before then, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah, it might have well have been. But it feels that what Farhad Mashiri did was gave Bill Kenwright effectively the keys to actually do what he wanted to. And he hasn't spent that money pro- correctly. Do you see Bill Kenwright being part of the club moving forwards, Or do you think the fans are going to get their way and get rid of
2: That is the million dollar question yeah. at the moment. Um, there are some fans that will, you know, stand by Bill Kenwright for what he's done at the club. And, and yeah, and that's fine. Um, there is a huge portion of the fan base that do want him to go. And that's why it was interesting in the summer when... There was the breaking news about the board. The, the, the fans were protesting, not against the results at the end of last season. It was all about the running of the club, the way the board was running the club and decisions that were being made. That was the issue. So they were very clever, the Everton fans, in that the protest was always before the game. And then they go in and take the seats and get behind the team. So that was there was quite a clear distinction. Yeah. But of course, the board weren't actually at any games Um, from January onwards anyway, because the club said there were some perceived threats towards them. So they weren't at the games either. Um, It was interesting in the summer, though. Denise Barrett-Baxendale, who was the CEO of Everton, left. Grant Ingalls was the finance director, was a member of the board, left. And Graeme Sharp, of course, a club legend, who Mm -hmm. had an advisory role really on the board, he left. The only one left was Bill Kenwright. He is, he remains on an interim board right now. He's not been going to games. He's not been at any games this season. It will be interesting. I would think for a PR purpose, 777 could look at it that we need a full change. Um, I think for Bill Kenwright, he's always seen it that it's his club. He's a boyhood fan. And I think he would want to remain, whether or not it might be in, you know, like a presidential role. You know, you get those presidential roles, don't you? Maybe it'd be something in that. I think for quite a lot of the fans, though, they would want to see not only an end to the Mascheri era, but also the Bill Kenwright era. And I think that's maybe you would imagine seven, seven, seven. They've got to be um, looking at the PR around this, surely. And you'd think there's been a discussion, but as yet, yet yeah, we're all in limbo. Nobody knows the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I've asked the club, and I've been covering it at, at work, and no, nope, we don't know what the board makeup's going to be. All I've been told is. There will be new faces coming into the board, but no one could confirm or deny if some would be leaving.
1: It's a shame because, as you say, he is a boyhood fan of Everton. And I think, you know, there's no doubt that he's done his very best or his intentions have always been good. But, of course, like all human beings, get it wrong. And we wouldn't be having this conversation if it all went right, would we, really?
2: no not at all and yeah football is a business at the end of the day and in any business whether you're marks and spencers whether you're the corner shop or a football club sometimes you make a decision and it doesn't work out it's the same as you know sometimes you sign a player and they might have all the stats going for them and you think this is it this is the player that's going to turn around and they just don't work at all and all that money you know has been spent so yeah it i don't think it's been for the want of trying at everton i mean there was the infamous summer under Ronald Koeman, where it felt like about 30 number 10s were bought for the team. Just money yep. was being spent left, right and centre. Wayne Rooney came back, which I don't really think was the best idea. But, you know, mm-hmm. a legend came back. But there was a real big buzz around the club. Everton were finally spending and, you know, attracting players and people were to come and a legend had returned. But again, it resulted in in sort of, no, you know, no trophies. And that's the issue. It's 28 years, you know, since a trophy and, and fans have... I've just seen, you know, especially with the likes of Newcastle now, and, you know, they've got a colossal amount of money behind them, but they're, they're in the Champions League. And as long as you're winning, unfortunately, football fans, as long as you're winning and as long as you're doing well, mm-hmm. nobody's really questioning how much money's being spent. But, you know, questions arise when it's not going well, you know, as you know, and that's when people start dissecting yeah. everything and and asking who's made that decision why was that money spent and that's been the situation at Everton for a very long time and you know it's not for the want of trying. there's a lot of good staff that work there that want to turn it around and they want to see that club right at the back you know it's not fighting out for titles and trophies again but it's just been nowhere near has it and the last couple of seasons have been draining really draining and I think the fans are just exhausted by it now to be honest
1: of course, you have to go all the way back to 1995 for the last trophy, the FA Cup final against Man United. It was a 1-0 win. Uh, Paul Ryder, wasn't it, that scored the goal?
2: Uh, I think so. You're testing my knowledge here. Yeah. I'm full of the <laughs> cold and I'm not long out of bed. Yeah, it was a long day yesterday, but yes. Yeah, uh, yeah FA Cup was the last one, I think. Yep. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. And
2: obviously everyone harps back to the 80s as well, the 84-85 season where yeah. Everton were you know, pretty much the best there was. And um, Merseyside was the, the sort of the football mecca, wasn't it, of, of the UK? Yes, you know, yes. like, it was you know, Liverpool and Everton in finals, taking each other on and fighting out for titles and stuff. And, you know, that doesn't help either when, you know, Blues have looked over the other side of the park and seen success there. You know, there was yeah, a barren spell for Liverpool for a little bit. Not not as much, yeah. really. I mean, there were still cups, but, you know, finally got a Premier League title. And, yeah, it, it's, it, it's a sad... Time for Everton, but I do think that's what concerns me now. Although, yesterday, I didn't. Did you go to the game yesterday? Did you travel? Yeah. I mean, Goodison was bouncing again yesterday. And I don't know if anyone saw there was um, a, a picture went out on Everton's social media of um, a, a fancy watch that you know detects yeah. the, the noise and it said it was over 100 decibels. So, it could, you know, when we think, I think a plane is about 120 decibels taken <laughs> off, isn't it? I mean, it was loud in there yes. and it was yes. loud the last game of the season. I think he's one I will never, ever forget, ever. It was incredible atmosphere in there. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, what I, what I found interesting with you, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is it felt two very different Bournemouths. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't watch yeah. you closely week in, week out, but the Bournemouth mm-hmm. side that came in May, that felt really different to yesterday's one.
1: And that is actually something we'll come on to in a bit. But what I want to do is get a bit of an understanding of Sean Dyche as well, because... <laughs> Of course, um, Sean was at Burnley for many years, and I think personally he did a fantastic job with Burnley, got back into the Premier League, kept them there for so long, um, but he played this style that was anti-football, everything wrong with football, you know, people used to hate it, and I remember a game where... We were in in complete control. Sean Dyche, it was just straight down the other end and scored. And of course, don't mention the um, defeat up at Burnley as well, um, which was where we equalised and then uh, the referee pulled it all the way back for a Burnley penalty. (laughs) 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 But Sean Dyche has got this style of play that's kind of been given, or, you know, it's kind of stuck with him, you know, at Burnley. But yeah. is he deviating away from that at Everton? Or what is what's he kind of doing?
2: I think I think what you're trying to say is that is he's a bit marmite, isn't he? Sure. Yeah, Dice? he is. Do yeah.
1: He sounds yeah, a bit marmite. He doesn't like Bournemouth. Well, that's what we believe. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, do you know what? I mean, as I said before, I, I like yeah. Sean Dyesh. I think he's yeah. I think he's got a very dry sense of humour. And I think sometimes people don't always get him. Which, but I quite like that. I think he's quite funny. Um, ever to wait. it's been difficult for him to get any style of play because he was hit with the worst amount of injuries on a tiny, tiny squad as it was. I mean, at the end of the season, I think, you know, he had no Dominic Calvert-Lewin for the majority of his games. Um, he had no recognised striker. Mm. Uh, that meant because there was no cover for DCL once he was out. And um, he had his captain, Seamus Coleman was injured and out and, uh, yeah. You know, it it was literally square pegs in round holes. Whoever could play was playing. I think he had, you know, a couple of keepers on the bench by the end of the season. There was kids out the under-21s that were never even coming on. You know, and he was questioned. I I asked him in a a press conference once about, he didn't, when it was the Leicester game last season and it was 2-2 and I think there was about four games left then. Leicester fighting it out as well. And apart from the substitute he made because of Seamus Coleman's injury, he didn't make any subs. And a lot mm-hmm. of the fans were saying, why didn't he make any subs? And, you know, and he politely in a roundabout way, because there isn't anything, there isn't anything mm-hmm. on the bench. So that shows you how little he's got. Um, he's coming for criticism this season because he talks a lot about XG. Um, and a, and a, a lot of people will know about the XG, expected goals. Yeah. Um, and he's been using that. He's very stat-based. He's very into his mm-hmm. research. He's very into his sports psychology. And I find that quite fascinating. And if you talk to him, he's always in the middle. He's never here. He's never there. After yesterday, he wasn't bouncing off the ceiling, jumping up and down. But the same as after being beaten by Luton at home the week before, again, he wasn't on the floor. He wasn't depressed. He was it was just always the same. And I think that's yep. maybe what's needed because confidence has been tricky at Everton. And, you know, fighting constant relegation battles for so long has been quite draining. So I think he's just taken the emotion out of it, which which works. Yeah. Um, the XG thing upset a lot of people because they said, "What's the point of having XG and all these stats if the goals aren't going in the back of the net?" And they weren't. They weren't. Mm-hmm. And you know, it wasn't for the fact that they weren't good performances. Uh, Fulham on the first game of the season at home should have probably won it. Didn't. Yeah. Uh, Wolves, same situation. Should have mm-hmm. won it. Didn't. Arsenal uh, in the game probably until Arsenal scored uh, and then kind of went to pieces. And Luton again should have had a couple couple of goals before Luton got into it and it was just two set pieces that undid Everton yet again. Um, But I think he was vindicated a little bit yesterday and there was a cheeky tweet from Everton where they retweeted the XG of, uh, I think it was Mm -hmm. Jack Harrison yesterday and said, oh look, it does work. Um, (laughs) It did feel like it was coming. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, what more can Sean Dice do? He can't stand there and put the goal in the back of the net. For them, I think the players mm. seem to like him. I don't think he's lost the dressing room. Um, no. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's harder for English managers. Um, I always wonder. This is it harder for an English manager. And, and and Daisha said to me, he goes, you know, I'm, I've got a gruff voice, I'm a skinhead, and I know people don't particularly think I'm like Pep Guardiola. But he goes, I use a lot of similar stats and and go about my way. But people don't see that. And I think it is trickier for for English managers. I don't think the scene is sort of fancy are they I, I, I don't know I think that's kind of a perception of an English manager we think oh they're quite old-fashioned um but you bring somebody in with them um, yeah a fancy foreign name and everyone goes oh they know what they're doing so I think it's probably a bit of that I like him I hope he stays around for a while I think what he did last season was incredible considering how bad it was um you know and results just were not happening whatsoever yeah but I get I get what you mean he's a bit marmite but yeah, and also you're not going to like him anyway because he's got a really good record against Bournemouth.
1: So. Well, exactly. To be honest, that's probably <laughs> half a bit To be fair, to be honest, he's he's a very very good, solid manager. He gets the best out of teams where the teams are probably are probably limited, you know. And I think that's probably where you know I'm going to go on to next because before we discuss yesterday's game and what happens with our foreign, fancy-sounding named <laughs> manager. Um, let's look at last season for Bournemouth. And, of course, Gary O'Neill, who is mm-hmm. now Wolves' manager, recently got a victory against Manchester City. Yeah. Um, but that last game of the season last year, personally, I think... It was a bit of a strange one. What was your feelings with about Gary O'Neill? Firstly, you know from what he had done prior to that game to keep us in the Premier League, which was always going to be a tough job, considering, of course, across the park, um, the other team that do play in red um, beat us nine 0 Scott Parker,
0: mm-hmm.
1: event after that, got sacked.
0: Yeah.
1: Walking out of Anfield that day, and I was there. I said that we had no chance. You know, I wouldn't turn around and say that, you know, publicly, but, you know, I was talking to the people that I was with and I said, got no chance of staying up. And Gary O'Neill did that. I think he was on the beach that last game of the season. But...
2: That's interesting you say that because everyone at Goodison that day thought, yeah, I mean, yeah, to answer your question firstly, yes, Mm -hmm. I thought he did a fantastic job. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, and to pick players up after some, you know, Poor results as well. That's part of it. It's that sports psychology side, isn't yeah. it? I think from from this side, from over here in Mersey side, everybody thought maybe that final game would have been a straight shootout, actually. And yeah. whoever won would stay up going when everyone was mm-hmm. looking at the, you know, you try and work out the fixtures, don't you? Like, well, you might get something on that, and they might get something on that, and you're working it all out in your head. Like
1: I could only envisage that last game of that sit the season being just that. That shootout, as you say. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. And we didn't have anything riding on it. But Yeah, and,
2: and he did a great job because I just remember mm. the desperation in these parts of, well, if there's six teams in the relegation fight, that helps. And then it was five teams and then four teams by the end of it. Mm. Um yeah, but to get Bournemouth out of it and to, to be comfortable at the... I mean, that must have been a lovely, lovely feeling to have been comfortable at the end of last season because it was not comfortable oh, was. sat in the stands at Goodison. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I thought, I, was, I was really surprised from, from, you know, being here and just seeing what yeah. had gone on at Bournemouth. I was really shocked that he's now not the Bournemouth manager. So I was surprised um, because, for me, he seemed to do a fantastic job. And also, you know, you say he was on the beach that last game. That's not the perception here at all. Mm. You know, I was sat in the stands watching that and I thought, oh my goodness me, Bournemouth must have come here for the win. And this is not going to be good. And obviously at half time it was nil-nil and the other results meant Leicester were staying up. Everything yeah. in the bottom three. And I thought Bournemouth put on an absolute, to say there was nothing riding on it. And I thought, wow, he's got Mm -hmm. everybody playing really well. They obviously like the manager. They like playing for him. So, yeah, it came as a massive surprise, having seen that game at Goodison, that he then wasn't there a a matter of weeks later. I mean, you'll know a lot more than I am. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. it, it was fascinating that to me because I thought Bournemouth looked really good. For nothing to play for and to put in a performance like that made it tough. And Dice and, and said that to me afterwards. He was like, they came came here to play. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there was no flip-flops on, as they say, at all. No,
1: fair enough. Fair enough. It always, it seems to be the perception with the Bournemouth fans. But of course, towards the end of the season, we, after getting that vital victory against Leeds, which kept us up, we then lost the next four. And in that run, there was some pretty dire games. But... Mm. One thing that, you know, actually resonates from what you said about Sean Dyche and what I know of Gary O'Neill. And I've met Gary and he's very, very articulate. Again, he's very stat driven. He'll assess the teams. I actually met him before the Brentford game at home. And it was a case of if Brentford do this, we do this to combat them. And I really like his style. He, he's not one of those managers and... You probably agree with me that Dice isn't either. He's not one of those managers that you'll go, oh, he's an exciting person. You know, he's not the sort of manager that you probably invite to a party. Um, but
2: I don't know. Maybe it says more about me. I would definitely invite Dice to a party. I think he'd be quite a lot
1: of fun. <laughs> Do you know what? I think probably letting his air down, well...
2: <laughs> He's big into mean? his music. He's massive into his music. Yeah. So if you needed a DJ, you could sort your, your playlist out for a party, no problem.
1: <laughs> Do you know what? That would be absolute quality. If a video <laughs> actually surfaced of Sean Deich on the DJ decks... That would be brilliant. I had a
2: few of them ever. I think Sam Allardyce was caught at a disco somewhere, and um Roberto Martinez was caught at a concert doing a big wheels, little but big boss, little boss. I think it was the dance moves. Never lived it down. Can't see Sean Dyke. He went to Glasgow though. He went to Glasgow.
0: He's he, he pictured,
2: but I don't. I can't see him being a dancer. I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> I'll ask him and I'll find out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you've got to let us know the actual answer on that as well. See if it, 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 see if for Gary O'Neill as well, because I'm pretty sure, they, I think they're going quite well, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll be quite interesting. To, uh, you know, Gary O'Neill has got a secret side as well. Um, I'll tell you what, let's move on to, though, this decision that was made during the summer for Bournemouth. So we've got rid of Gary O'Neill. My initial thought was, why have we done that? But then we bought in Andoni Iriola because the people being mentioned were Frank Lampard, of course, who was at Everton. Um, Stephen Gerrard, of course, le- recently left Aston Villa. And Jesse Marsh, who, of course, you know, did a very good job at least not. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> one thing that, you know, as soon as Iriola was mentioned, was like, OK, I know a bit about this man. You know, he was at Real Vallecano. You know, play the very, very attractive style of football, can see why we've done it. The problem is is he hasn't been able to transition his style of play, which is a passing possession based play with a high press onto these players. And my concern now, and do let me know if you agree, but when managers, you know, international managers come over to the Premier League, there is that. It's completely different from Spain. It's completely different from Germany. It's completely different from any other league in the world, isn't it?
2: Yeah. If you play in in the howling winds in the middle of January on a Tuesday yeah. night or something, yeah, completely different. But yeah, I agree. I sometimes don't think you can play pretty football in the Premier League. It's so mm-hmm. physical. There's such yeah. talents, The pace of it. I did think what was interesting, and again, I could be completely wrong, and I'm basing this on, on what I saw yesterday. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Bournemouth looked a lot slower than they did last season. With well, that, yep. that, I saw. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that was just a one-off. So you can correct me on that. It it didn't feel as free-flowing. I mean, the, obviously the defense had an absolute nightmare, and really it probably. Mm. It should have been more. I think that was the only thing. If you're gonna be yeah disappointed as an you know, as an Everton fan, I think DCL had won. Or if it had been on tiny bit lower on the crossbar it would have been in. Yeah. And I think he had a couple of chances, DeCorey could have had another one, Anana could have had two yeah. goals, Jack Harrison could have had another one. It it was more for not hitting the target that Everton weren't up rather than anything that Bournemouth did. Um it, it looked like he didn't change anything. I don't know. I just felt watching it, um. He looked, your manager set you up as if he'd never been to Goodison, uh, he's clearly never been to Goodison, but as if he didn't know yeah. anything about the atmosphere at Goodison, what it's like. You know, everyone's on top of the pitch, it, it's loud. It is, you know, the, the crowd will get into you and they'll get the players up for it. And there's the siren that goes off before Zed cars. And the noise in there yesterday was fantastic. He just looked like he didn't know. What Goodison was about, and he wasn't prepared for it. I don't know what you think. I don't know if I've just made that up, but that's how it came across to me. And there wasn't really any immediate changes where he thought, "Oh, hang on, this is quite a fiery place." This, but he just seemed very like he hadn't done any research on what it's like to go to Everton.
1: I completely agree. Completely agree. And I don't think he had really done, and it did well. He probably did, but I don't. It didn't come across that he had done much research on Everton. That it is going to be tough. Because we played again like we did against Arsenal, like we did against Brighton. And to be fair, against Chelsea it worked. Where it was this possession-based passing football. Now, if you're gonna pass the ball around and as we saw, come out from the back like Zabania did when he lost it to James Garner. Picture
0: the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: You're asking for trouble. And that is the sort of things that we've been doing this season. That's the sort of errors. But, of course, because of that passing style, we haven't got that speed, that impetus up mm. front to get the ball to Solanke. Phil Billing, for example, has completely lost his way under the manager, and he's not playing that 10 role. He's playing too far back because it is this passing style. We're trying to pl- effectively pass the ball into the back of the net, and it doesn't work in this division.
2: No, and, and it's not gonna happen at Goodison either. No. Um at all you
0: know,
2: places. With, with, with yeah, with this with the stage <laughs> a Sean Dyche side as well, you know,
0: yeah
2: is organized. It's about you know just being a menace and getting it getting into people and flying a tackle in. And um, I mean I thought Jared Branthwaite for Everton had, had a superb game at the back. He wasn't gonna let yeah. anything get past him and he put some really fiery tackles in. A few, times, in fact, quite a few of Everton's players did. <laughs> yeah, it seemed to wilt Bournemouth rather than get them up for a fight and galvanise them. I don't know. It felt <laughs> like, as you say, yeah, it trying to pass it. it you can't be pre- you can't come to Goodison and play pretty football unless I don't know, maybe Harland or something. Um, you well, know, you, can, yeah. but, you know. But that's a very different game. But most teams can't come. You're going to come and have to fight. For, if you want to win, you're going to have to fight. And that's been <laughs> the upset that sometimes it's Everton that have let sides win rather than they've come and been good and that's been the huge route so yeah i'm from someone who who is clearly not a Bournemouth fan and he's in he's from outside and just watching bits of it i am staggered that there was a managerial change now because yeah i thought came to goodison with nothing to play for in may and was superb and then Mm. yesterday i thought Really? And you know, I know there'd been a bit of bravado before, hadn't there, about oh, this game will, will decide the rest of our season. I think was that was that the quote from the Yeah, man?
1: it was a it was a case that um and a lot a lot of Bournemouth fans have thought this, and a lot of Bournemouth fans were completely against Gary O'Neill. They were totally against him, and some of the criticism, some of the abuse that Gary O'Neill received. Like clown pictures, and even worse, P teacher was one thing that he was referred to, um, was completely and utterly unfair. But Andoni Ariola was basically trying to say that our season starts at Goodison Park, and because we've had this hard start. But I don't think that there's been errors that, you know, were in the Brighton game, which then led into Arsenal, which then led into yesterday. And in fact, things just seem to be getting worse. They don't seem to be getting better.
2: Yeah, I mean, you'll know more than I know. As I say, I'm not going to even pretend to say that I'm watching, you know, Bournemouth that closely week in, week out. It's obviously not what I cover for work. Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of things to watch. Um, But yeah, it it just felt night and day to me, those two Bournemouth Mm -hmm. sides. And I feel quite sad that Gary O'Neill was not massively popular because he seemed you know, quite together and and the job he did, surely. I yeah. mean, you know, it's not, and I, and I mean this with the greatest respect because I think it's like a lot of sides now. It's not worlds beating players in the mm-hmm. squads because they're just so expensive. There's not very many sides that can afford them. And they'll, they'll either go and play, you know, for the big books either here or, or Spain or Real Madrid or a Barcelona mm-hmm. or something like that. So that's not, you know, being derogatory in the slightest, but Yeah, yesterday felt... I mean, I'd be worried if that was the performance week in, week out for Bournemouth, because it didn't see... I know there was a lot of substitutions, but it didn't seem to change anything. It didn't seem to alter... And near the end, you almost... You know, you had a couple of attempts, I think Dwight McNeil blocked one. Uh, But instantly, instantly, he went straight up the other side of the pitch, and there was no one there. You know, there Hmm. seemed to be so many Everton players unmarked yesterday. And it felt a little bit like maybe the homework hadn't been done. Yes, Everson's home form on results has been poor up to that point without a win at home. But actually the performances weren't weren't bad. Um, mm-hmm. you know, to not I think there was one point where DeCore wasn't being marked, Jack Harrison wasn't being marked. Um, I think DCL was pretty much unmarked as well. And you've got Dwight McNeil running with the ball, and I just thought, if you're a Bournemouth fan, you must be really unhappy with that because all those players are well known for being attack-minded.
1: Yeah, and...
2: I feel like I might have depressed you there slightly.
1: (laughs) No, to be honest, it's a fair, fair point because my next thought is that... You know, because I called this game. You know, I called what was going to happen. And I don't did you? Not a, many Goodison no
2: did. Everyone was terrified.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I said it was going to be 2-1, but I could see what Iriola was going to do. He was going to play this possession-based football, try to, you know, start quite well. And to be honest, in the first 15 minutes, apart from the error, we looked fairly decent. And then, of course, things started to unravel. And Sean Dyche was always going to hit us on the break. and We just seem devoid of confidence. (laughs) How long, you know, do we have to, or how long do you think Bournemouth need to stick by Areola? Is it a case that now, you know, that's no wins in eight and things only seem to be getting worse. The players don't seem to be able to play his style of football. He's a really nice man, but really nice men. Don't get your results. If you are in the bottom three, it doesn't matter yes. if you've got, you know, Areola or Neil Warnock as your manager, um, you're going down. But how long do you think we have to give this manager considering it's not working?
2: Yeah. I feel bad answering this um, because mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's not a team I cover. So I don't want to upset anybody. And yet, and as you say, you can be a nice person in football, but it doesn't mean you're going to succeed. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of nice managers through the door yeah. at Everson. Frank Lampard was a really good guy. You know, mm-hmm. he was a really nice fella. His coaching staff were all really good. They bought into it. They adored being around here and loved the people, but it just didn't work out. Um, yeah, and that's not to say, by the way, Sean Dyche isn't a nice person, so I just want to put that in there as well. <laughs> a
1: um,
2: I mean an international break always feels good for a reset, doesn't it? Always feels yeah. a good time to look at something. Speaking completely selfishly, I really don't want to go through that a third time with Everton. Stick mm-hmm. with him. However, yeah, as you say, I don't think I think his style of play doesn't suit Bournemouth or the Premier League or the situation that Bournemouth are going to be in again. And that's You know, Everson are highly likely to be in it again, you know, battling, just trying to grab the points, snatch the points wherever you possibly can and grind out results. It'll be interesting because it is, is it Wolves next after the international break? It is, yeah. Yeah. It is. That to me feels a massive storm brewing, doesn't it? You know, you are going head to head with the guy that was deemed not good enough. Yeah. And should he take the three points off you? I think then it becomes untenable, doesn't it? I think at that stage. But is it better to do it while there is a break and someone can come in and work with the players a little bit? Daesh had that when he came in because it was an FA Cup weekend and, e- and Everton were already out. So actually had a mm-hmm. good sort of nearly two weeks before his first game against Arsenal. And I think that worked wonders because fitness-wise, he felt the players weren't up to scratch and he put them through all the bleep tests and there was lots of videos of players throwing up and stuff like that. I mean, he loves all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you might get a manager in next who goes, actually, I, I need more time. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel really mean answering this because I feel like I'm not qualified and shouldn't really have an opinion on this. I, For me, I think the Wolves game's key. If if, if they're going to yeah. do it, they'll do it now. Surely they'd have done it today, would they? I don't know. Do They, they seem to work pretty fast, Bournemouth, because I think it wasn't – the manager plays yeah. immediately, whereas, it you was- know, ever since it was like a week and a half or something.
1: Literally, it was, a, it was a strange one. So when Scott Parker was sacked, Gary O'Neill was interim all the way up to the World Cup mm. and then got the job full time. Um, in this case, and of course, Bill Foley taking on the reins now, and this is a Bill Foley appointment in my eyes. It was a case that Gary was sacked you know, early in the morning. I think it was about 11 o'clock. And actually, I was doing a live show at the time. And, you know, I hadn't really prepared it very well. So it was probably just an hour afterwards. And then during that, Iriola was appointed. Mm -hmm. So that's how quick it was. I think personally, Gary, even back when he got given the job, was probably a dead man walking. And why I say that is that the players that we signed, because Gary or nor Iriola have actually got the reins on the players we actually bringing through the door and that'd be quite interesting to ask you about that and how that works at Everton because those players seem to be players for Iriola they didn't seem to be Gary O'Neill type players they seem to be Iriola players and I honestly thought it was going to work you know I, I thought when Iriola come in, the passing style, you know, was going to work against West Ham. We looked good, but it's just completely unravelled. Teams have worked him out quite quickly and known how to play against Bournemouth. But how does it work at Everton? Is it a case where Sean Dyche has got can make his own signings, or is it a case that it's being made by the board? Well, else? there is
2: a director of football, which is Kevin mm-hmm. Bellwell, and he's across all elements of Everton. So whether it be the first team, the women's team, the academy, he's across kind of all that type of stuff. Yeah. And he, he's a good guy. Um, you know, he works long, long hours. He's told me, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really think he ever gets a holiday. Um, it's interesting because, as I think I said earlier, it, Sean Dyche came in a couple of days before the transfer window ended in January. Yeah. And there were no signings, no signings at all. So he didn't get anything that was his. Mm-hmm. Um, he did know some of the players because there's Tarky there, uh, and Dwight McNeil. Yeah. He knew from Burnley, Michael Keane, he knew as well. So, mm-hmm. he did have some players that he kind of knew, but essentially, to stay up in the Premier League, as Sean Dyche did, he did it with an amalgamation of. Um, I'm going right back to Seamus Coleman's been there the longest, he was under he was signed by David Moyes. So, if yeah. you go that way across the squad, it's a squad of nine different managers now,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which is. You know, you think, well, that's never going to work, is it? Because they were all very different styles. They were not, you know, no one was... David Moyes, incredibly different to a Ronald and Carlo Ancelotti, very different yeah. to a Frank Lampard. They're all completely different. Um, Yeah, I mean, Shawty's works alongside Kevin Thelwell. So there were some signings this summer. Obviously, Jack Harrison is mm-hmm. one that's already... He's now proved incredibly popular. He played for the under-21s a couple of weeks ago. He did half a game and looked... Absolutely outstanding, but I don't think you can ever really tell because it's like a man against boys, isn't it? Some of them were really young, um, but he looked fantastic. And then he's come in and done really well. So he's a crowd favourite already. I can see why Everton were desperate to get him from Leeds on loan. Um, Yeah, it just feels better. he's obviously a signing and now DCL's fit. He's sort of become a bit of a bit part player. He's coming on at the end of games. um, Because Dominic Calvert-Lewin, if you can keep him firing and keep him fit, Mm-hmm. Then he's your first choice anyway. Oh,
0: yeah, definitely.
2: Um, but, yeah, it's a bit of an odd one with Daesh because he's still working with a lot of players that are not his and I don't think some of them he would have if, if he could get get around it. Um, I, mean, I mean, Pickford picks himself, doesn't he? The England's yes. number one. I don't understand. I don't know what your thoughts are on Jordan Pickford. I cannot <laughs> understand why people still query why he is the England number one.
1: I think, you know, to be honest, down here, it is probably because we've got such an affiliation with Aaron Ramsdale. that you know, we mm. always say, oh, yeah, Aaron Ramsdale, you know, great goalkeeper. But Jordan Pickford hasn't really done anything wrong, has he? Let's be honest.
2: Not for England, not at all. And he hasn't really no. done a lot wrong for it. I mean, there was the Bournemouth game at the end of the season, of course, which was crucial. Win and stay mm-hmm. up. It was It was as simple yeah. as that. Uh, And the noise when Decore's goal went in was, I mean, I've never heard. I mean, I've heard Goodison Mm -hmm. rowdy and loud and crazy. But, I mean, I think the stands were shaking and everything. It was absolutely insane. But you could say Jordan Pickford was the one that did it because to save that penalty in the Leicester game to get the point was key. Um, And that was a huge, huge moment for him to do that. And And he's never swayed from from Everton at all his loyalty seems to be that he, lo- mm-hmm. he loves playing at Goodison he has one of the boxes his family have a box there and you know his whole family goes every single game so he seems you know very much part of it so I think Daish is completely happy with his keeper there's not an issue he signed a long-term deal as well um mm-hmm. you know probably more for insurance but you know just in case somebody comes in with a big dip. but yeah he seems very happy I think yeah, I think Dyche would make a lot of changes if he could, but it's the money. And that's that's essentially how it is at Everton. There's, there isn't much money to play with. That's not a secret. It's it's fairly open now that, you know, any deals that are being done, I don't think Beto hasn't been paid for up front either. No money's mm-hmm. due until the end of the season. Uh, you know, loans, it's kind of working in the loan market. Dyche is looking at the younger members of the club. So he does go to under 21 games and has a look. Uh, Lewis Dobbin has kind of stepped up as well. He's a relatively young player. Uh, Dan Juma, of course, the infamous Dan Juma, (laughs) who (laughs) uh, was almost the big January signing and then decided after a a tour round and given his word that he was coming, he went to Spurs and it didn't really work out. But then he didn't even get on yesterday, did he, Dan Juma? So I think he's going to struggle. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think think he's got some key players he will always rely on as Daesh but yeah in an ideal world they'd have a heck of a lot more money but whoever comes in even if they decided to get rid of daish doesn't change the financial situation so it'd be interesting what happens with this takeover i don't think though it's going to bring with it a giant pot of cash to go and spend you know millions and millions and millions on a whole new start in 11. and i don't think you change some of them anyway but yeah it, it's been a I think it's been a learning curve for sean daish that's for sure <laughs>
1: Well, we need to, of course, win a game. Um, but the last time Everton did win a game was against Brentford, and I thought you were fantastic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I really did. I watched that on, on TV and it was an outstanding performance against a very, very good team. Um and then you went and got beat by Luton. Um <laughs> how <laughs> where do you go from here? this season you know is it a case that Sean Dyche continues with that because you got your first home win now you know which should hopefully breed confidence into (laughs) the the side but where do you go from here because sure uh, avoided relegation is still the priority isn't
2: it oh completely yeah and Everton fans will not be calm until that is secured do you know what A, a relatively dull season finishing maybe 11th with nothing to play for on the last few games would seem like an absolute holiday to a lot of Everton fans right now because (laughs) it has been yeah it's just been exhausting to be honest a couple of seasons like that um you know and and, and Everton fans know that you know 33 minutes well plus 10 added so 43 minutes away from going down that's how close it was last season Mm -hmm. and you know, there was the bus welcomes under Frank Lampard, which I'm sure I think they were on the TV every year.
0: Yeah.
2: Everton fans did anything and everything they could possibly think of. There was a game against Newcastle towards the end of last season, which ended badly. Um, But, you know, they, they reinstated the bus then because Sean Dyche has them driving. So yeah. for one game, he allowed them on the bus to see if that would work again. There was a bagpiper going up Goodison Road playing Z Cars. There were flares going off. Um, somebody, I don't know who, paid for what looked like industrial fireworks for outside the stadium for when the players were coming out and they were going off over the top of the set. Yeah, you know, Everton fans have done anything and everything. They were an absolute superb fan base. That you know, I, I think sometimes other. To, I know I've spoken to Dwight McNeil about it, and he was with Burnley, obviously when. Burnley went down, and he said he remembers going to Goodison and thinking, "Oh my God, these these fans are doing mm. all the dark arts to help." And you know, <laughs> it is really the tw- you know, and he just said, "Never seen anything like it." And a lot of the players now still talk about those bus welcomes under Frank Lampard when it was desperate and desperate for points, and they just said, we would never seen anything like it." And you know, they'd then begun organising seeing them off from away trips to the training ground, and they'd have a full. Cool thing of the you know, and these players, you know, Frank Lampard on the seat at the front, you know where a tour guide would sit, and he's waving out the window and high fiving it, you know, and it just kind of created something to try and get behind. Similar last season, there was banners everywhere, and Mm -hmm. you name it. The the aim, though, unfortunately, is to avoid relegation, and that's that's so hard for a club of Everton's history to possibly be in a third relegation battle on the spin um you know this is a team this is a club that's iconic goodison is yeah you know it's still unclear quite when the switch to the new stadium happens so it could potentially be the final season at goodison we don't know i think you know there may be some negotiations over that but you know it's coming to the end of its life and no one wants to see goodison go out with a whimper they want to see it go out with a massive mm-hmm. celebration and a bang um a cup run would be incredible they've been yeah. few and far between uh, too few and far between, uh, Into against Burnley uh, against, yeah. uh, like, in the, you know, the last 16 of the League Cup. That'll be interesting. I think if you know if Everton could get a Wembley trip, that would yeah. certainly feel like a step in the right direction. The league, though, as you know, it is where it's at, though, isn't it? It's the bread and butter yeah. for every single team in it. And, you know, unless you're maybe like a Norwich that's quite happy bouncing up and down, which I think, mm-hmm. you know, that suits some people, doesn't it? Everton don't want to be in that again. It was too close last time. It was close the time before under Lampard. Last time was far too close. So I think not skirting with that would feel like an achievement, but it's going to be a long building process. And yeah, that's not what the fans want to hear, but it's it's going to take some time. Um, yeah, so maybe... Maybe a lovely mid-table mediocrity finish would feel like a real positive.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, fingers crossed for Everton. A final question really, Julia, is about this new stadium. And of course, new stadiums cost a lot of money. Um, And it's a case that we're probably going to have to look at a new stadium. Well, most definitely we will be looking at a new stadium. But the problem is, is whenever you build one of these things, it seems to have that detrimental effect on the pitch as well and Everton aren't particularly in a very good place unfortunately at the moment. Likewise if we started building a new stadium tomorrow I'd be very very worried about that money then being channeled out to building the stadium and therefore having a negative effect on the pitch but I guess that's firstly one part of why it's been a struggle. But secondly, how long is that struggle going to go on for?
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot of work going on around the stadium now about sponsorship Mm -hmm. deals and and the way it will be run inside. It's going to be a sort of a seven day a week operation there. There's going to be restaurants in it that will be match day restaurants, but also Mm -hmm. there will be restaurants anyway. So it's another way of galvanizing cash, isn't it? It's much bigger, 52,000. Goodison gets just about 39,000 in it, full house, mm-hmm. um, which is always full. Uh, a good, even yeah. when it's been awful, you can still never get a ticket. Um, oh. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that just goes to show the fan base and the need is there. There's a season ticket yeah. waiting list. So, yeah, it should help. But as you say, yeah, it, it, it's a financial commitment to build a stadium because mm-hmm. it's so expensive. And, you know, since Brexit as well, all, you know, things like that, this is way beyond my sort of knowledge and capability to talk about building materials but even that you know has been impacted as well hasn't it Um,
0: Yeah.
2: it will look incredible it looks fantastic where it is Mm -hmm. for anyone who doesn't know in fact that behind me is one of the early sketches from what it's going to look like so it's on the dock um, and it will look like it's coming out the water they filled a dock in to do Mm. this so it will look like it's sitting on the water and there's a big glass side up the you know where the water is and things and there'll be a one the home stand which is going to replicate you know the Gladys Street now the famous Gladys Street will be one big wave there won't be any sort of breaks in it a big wave of home fans which should create Mm -hmm. an incredible atmosphere and they built it quite so it will still feel quite intimidating and people will still be very close to the pitch hopefully um because I don't like that in the newer stadiums or I yeah. went to West Ham's and obviously it was the Olympic stadium, wasn't it? So yeah, you know, it was, I went yeah. to see the athletics there, which was great. Um, but you're quite far away from the pitch, aren't you? If you go to a football game. Yeah. It's just too
1: far away, isn't yeah, it? It loses just... that
2: magic, but yeah. Yeah. Stayed, unfortunately now it's a business. And and I hate saying that because I mm-hmm. want football to be about hearts and souls and magic and, you know, all that, but it's not, it's a business and it's a multi-billion pound business. So Yeah, you're probably in a similar situation where to get more cash in and get the big sponsors and get people interested and people Mm -hmm. wanting to invest. You've got to have a brand spanking new stadium that looks the part and gets more people in the door spending. Um, But it's sad to see these homes go, isn't it? And then with that comes a financial commitment and it will impact what you can spend on players or Mm -hmm. what's going on you know, in the club right now, because you've got to always have one eye on thinking, well, we've got to pay for that. You don't want to go bang because of a brand new stadium. Uh, Liverpool have done it the opposite way. They've kept Anfield and bolted on sections to it. And that looks, but looks completely different now. It's huge now, is Anfield as well. So that was a different way. It's not really the way Goodison could be done. There wasn't really any capability of doing that because, you know, you've been, it's literally in the middle of houses, isn't it? It's literally, there are people that live opposite the turnstiles so it just was never going to be feasible to do that um yeah it's a tricky one isn't it and you've seen it spurs did it in this a blinking brilliant stadium Mm -hmm. but it hasn't really seen it hasn't replicated on the pitch has it It hasn't brought
1: it seems like you know with them as well it's kind of stopped and strangled what they've been able to do on the pitch yeah
2: yeah, because, you know, it's a huge commitment. And it's, you know, mm. you think building one of these big stadiums doesn't automatically equate to a Premier League title, does it? No. And it, it's not guaranteed success, but it is guaranteed if you can get it right to boost the bank balance. And then how that money is then spent is the next chore, isn't it? It just brings yeah. with it more, more money brings more problems, I think. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it. it and I, I just get really sad seeing these iconic stadiums go. I think, you know... I mean, Goodison's still got, where I sit, I've still got a, a wooden seat.
0: <laughs> a yeah, wooden exactly. seat.
2: Um, You know, but, I mean, it's not the comfiest, so I'll, I'll be happy to have a comfier seat. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, what's going to happen with uh, Goodison Park once um, the new stadium is ready?
2: Yeah, this is really interesting, this one. Um, It's in L4, which is one of the UK's mm-hmm. most deprived postcodes is L4. Mm-hmm. And Everton, the community, which is the charity with Everton, does incredible work right across Merseyside, uh, supporting Mm -hmm. communities that wouldn't necessarily get much support. In the pandemic, I mean, they gave out hundreds of thousands of food parcels and, you know, made sure people had enough, you know, to pay their gas bills. And if they needed internet, they helped them with that. It does exceptional work. And Mm -hmm. it was felt in the club. There's a big responsibility in L4. It's not too far away where they're moving. You could walk it, but it is coming out of a community that has relied on... Everton being a club there, I mean people will walk up and knock on the door literally on a Tuesday mm-hmm. morning and say, "I'm struggling, I need some help." And there's all different things around there. There's the People's Place, which has sort of you know free legal advice. It has childcare mm-hmm. options. It has you name it. It's got it in there. There is um yeah you know a food market there that you know you pay. I think it's I think it's three or four pounds or something. And you get a big bag of food and stuff. So there's like a food mm-hmm. bank there. And and there's all sorts that goes on. What will happen with Goodison is it will be taken down. They're going to keep some of the pitch. The centre circle and stuff will be like a community garden. So that would be lovely. And there's going to be um, a mental health facility built there that will be free access for the community. So it's not really coming out, but Goodison will Mm -hmm. go. But the club won't leave the area. They're not going to leave it destitute. So I think a lot of people would have probably sold it off for a ton of houses. That's not going to happen. There will be some housing on there and commercial stuff. But there's also a huge part of the community and a big responsibility, and everything staying. So the Dixie Dean statue will stay, yeah. the Holy Trinity statue that's the other side near the Gladney Street will all stay, mm-hmm. all the bricks. So yeah, Everton will still be part of, of, of there, but they'll just we know Goodison Park.
1: It's a lovely story, actually. That yeah. Everton will still be there, you know, regardless of playing at Bramley Moor. It's Bramley Dock, isn't it? Bramley Moor Dock?
2: Bramley Moor Dock, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's going to be called, the stadium. We just all call it Bramley Moor Dock at the minute, whether or not it'll have some all singing, all dancing name, Pepsi Stadium, who knows?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's, it's lovely to think, because a lot of these clubs sell the stadiums and they just build on them, raking a whole ton of cash, whereas Everton, it's more about still being there.
2: Yeah, definitely and it is it's a community that needs Everton to be there, definitely. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to leave it. All the stuff's there, all the all the other community buildings. There's an Everton Free School that's next to Goodison that's there, that stays. Um yeah, I mean, if any I don't know if anyone watching this will will want to, but if you did want to look up Everton, the community and see what's going mm-hmm. on, um, you can look on their website and there's more than 60 projects in that area that they fund. They fund, they've bought houses to help children when they come out of the care system at 16 but don't have anywhere to go so they can house them yeah you name it they think of it they do a really good job so it's lovely that Goodison will still play a huge role in the community and I think that's it's so important because L4 is a community that needs every little bit of support that it can get so yeah it'd be lovely to see what happens with it and I think the community garden is a nice way of presenting there won't be a lot of things though if anything's not nailed down in Goodison Mm -hmm. I was going to say, actually, even if it is nailed down, I think people will be taking anything they can because, you know, people <laughs> just, you know, there's people, families that yeah. say, you know, people say to me, they get quite emotional. My granddad used to bring me and he's no longer here. And mm-hmm. that was his seat. And, you know, there's all these stories that, that have been going to the stadium yeah. for, you know, like over a hundred years and these families that no matter what, Everson has been there for them, you know, in, mm-hmm. in lots of different capacities, not just the football capacity, it's been there and supported them and, you know, it will be a re- there'll be a lot of tears that day when they go. And I think there'll be a lot of people wanting to take things. I imagine there'll probably be an auction of a lot of things. Um yeah. yeah, but it'll be a sad day. And I think it's a sad day for football when we see iconic stadiums go.
1: Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And it'll be nice for the fans to actually be able to have those mementos of a, such a great stadium. A mm. stadium that's played you know, part in league titles, in European championships as well. I believe even the World Cup, wasn't there were some games at Goodison during the 1966 World Cup? Yeah,
2: Eusebio was played there and he said it was the best stadium yeah. ever played at. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a World Cup stadium. The Bramley Mordok one, although it's not finished mm-hmm. yet, is part of the Euro 2028 bid uh, yeah. as well, so that'll be exciting. So it'll create its new its own history Well, the new side, but I think I think everyone just wants to get in there in the Premier League for a start. Yeah. yeah. Um, and be building on something and see sort of, you know, a trophy coming, you know, a League Cup. I know some people mm-hmm. do the League Cup down. It's a trophy. You get to go to Wembley yeah. and you get to have a great day out. And Everton would, that would be such a step forward for Everton. It would seem like there is some return to, you know, the, the successful times, you know, when it was Sharpie and Peter Rees and all these great players Mm -hmm. that have graced the Goodison Park pitch. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping Burnley don't go and tonk their old manager, but we'll see. (laughs) 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 I think Dax will be on it. He'll be on it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he'll know exactly how they, well, they have got a completely different style themselves now, which isn't kind of working in the Premier League. But, Julia, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And all the very, very best to Everton for the rest oh, of the season.
2: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Same to you. I hope you stay up and yeah, get it sorted. Fingers crossed for you. Thank you.
1: And thank you, everybody, for joining us on this show. Please remember to hit the like, the subscribe, the bell button below to be alerted to any new videos we do here on Up the Cherries in all departments. Please do check out all of our interviews. We've got cherry picking as well. We'll have lots more videos during the international break as well. Rest assured, um, there's going to be lots of room for discussion over this period. But until the next show, up the cherries. Thanks for joining us.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans